0: Hi, I'm Helen Avery with the Green Finance Institute, and you're listening to Green Is the New Finance. Today, I'll be sitting down with Mark Hayfiller, Chief Investment Officer at UBS Global Wealth Management, and we'll be talking about sustainable investments and their trajectory for growth.
1: As you look towards the future that societies around the world and governments want to build, increasingly, you know, there's a focus on a green recovery.
0: So you will know by now that our goal in these podcasts is to bring you conversations with those who are figuring out how to mobilise capital towards a greener, more inclusive and climate resilient global economy. And for as long as I have known Mark, that's what he's been entirely committed to doing, uh, moving investments at scale, and we're talking trillions here, into solving global challenges and knowing that the key is to ensure investment performance isn't compromised. So, I hope you enjoy the conversation. Hi Mark, thanks so much for joining us today. It's really nice to see you again. How are you? How's Zurich?
1: I'm doing great, it's a beautiful day. Thank you.
0: Oh, thank you. Um, we really wanted to have you on today to share about sustainable investing. Uh, So UBS Global Wealth Management recently announced it's going to be recommending sustainable investing over traditional investing to all its wealth management clients. Um, Now you're the largest wealth manager in the world, managing over $2 trillion in assets. So this is a huge sign, um, a huge signal to the market that sustainable investing is, can we say, the future of investing then?
1: That is is right. We are saying that uh, sustainable investing is a preferred solution for our private clients who are investing globally, and it's uh, we're super excited about it. It was not an easy decision, but everything, all the feedback since has uh, you know indicated to us that it's absolutely the right one.
0: So maybe we'll just start off with you know maybe you could just talk us through what what was behind the decision to to make this announcement.
1: So. You know, a couple of things have come together, right? So first, for from clients, we often hear that they're interested in sustainable investments, and indeed, we've been able to get some clients to join UBS because they believe in the strength of our offering. Uh, secondly, the performance of our sustainable solutions has been very strong, and then. The, the third factor is as you look towards the future that societies around the world and, and governments want to build, increasingly, the, you know there's a focus on a green recovery. So I think all those factors have really made this a great time to make a move like this. Now, it's not a one day and this is all done. It's, uh, it's a process.
0: Right. And hopefully, we'll touch on that process a little later. Um, So, UBS has always been very clear that sustainable investing is about returns. And I know you and I have talked in the past about keeping the conversation around sustainable investing to it being about financial common sense and risk and opportunity and not making it about values and morals lest you turn off potential investors. Do you get the sense that the, that sustainable investing being the smart choice for a portfolio has now landed with investors and whether this period of COVID where ESG funds have done well may have helped?
1: Sure. Well, I will say there is uh, quite a bit of a lingering belief globally that sustainable investing involves giving up returns in pursuit of other goals, and I think for a number of years, you know, we've certainly doing research on the subject, saying you know, sustainable investing does not have to hurt your returns, and there are many reasons to believe, especially after the Great Financial Crisis, as governments and societies uh, punish actors and companies that you know, violate the social norms about around what they think are good behaviors or consumers. But with their pocketbooks, it's actually becoming uh, important to be sustainable if you want your shareholders to get a good return. And so, uh, you know, what we saw in this COVID crisis, I think, is we've certainly seen that play out. And so I think it's a great time to talk to people about the investment return benefits for sustainable investing.
0: So sticking with this point on returns, in the research UBS put out with the announcement of sustainable investing being now the preferred recommendation to clients, it was mentioned that one of the reasons was um, risk and opportunity, actually two reasons, and two very large topics. Um, But I wondered if you could just elaborate on that a little more.
1: Sure. I mean, you can look at individual companies which you know have been caught in scandals around pollution or or uh or trade practices and i think you can see the way they've been punished in those those situations and so that is a real kind of company level risk uh that investors faced a lot less in the past uh but it's also you know at the sector level we've seen what the energy sector has has done this year so at multiple levels now, uh, those are some of the on the on the negative side. What can ca- happen to companies if consumers, regulators, shareholders don't believe that they have a robust plan to meet the the world of the future? But I think on the positive side as well, you know, we've seen the way the companies that are well positioned uh, can benefit from this. And and if you think about some of the plans for a green recovery and the kind of infrastructure green infrastructure investments that are already scheduled in Europe and are potentially going to happen under a Biden administration, there's also lots of positive reasons to start to think about what are the companies that are investing in a way that is more compatible with either your personal goals or with the goals of sustainable investing defined either by a investment manager or by uh, you know NGOs
0: so certainly a lot of momentum happening from the investor side and um, and as you all know well we have this enormous generational transfer of wealth coming that has an appetite for sustainable investments um, and because of turbulent markets this year people are also rethinking their portfolios right now maybe gonna make a switch it feels like a lot more money it's gonna flow into sustainable investments Are we prepared, though, for this tipping point of inflows?
1: Well, I do think it is a great opportunity and that more assets will shift. And I think that's part of the reason that sustainability and sustainable investing are taking off because, you know, you can still get in at a relatively early stage uh, while others are entering the market. So you can go with that flow and that can boost returns. Um, And I think you said it right, that my industry has to prepare for that, because ultimately, I I get the question a lot, you know, well, why don't you just force all these assets to be sustainable? And, you know, the client clients uh, or or consumers always have a choice. Right. And ultimately, money flows where they believe they're being best served. So, you know, the the groundwork that has to be laid uh, is to provide the best quality and choices out there. And and so I think that's the way we've tried to view the challenge.
0: Do you think we have enough eligible, sustainable investments across asset classes?
1: All asset classes, you know, I think we could do with more, more choices, whether it's private equity or, uh, you know, in equities. I think equities is a challenge for a couple of reasons, because is the goal to only invest in companies that are doing things that, that fit with your values or is the goal, you know, or do you take the approach that, well, you know, I'm not going to stop the world from mining, from mining for precious metals or uh, rare earth metals, but can we move the needle to make sure those practices are less exploitive or, uh, you know, more sustainable? And I I don't believe, you know, you can, just say one thing is is right or wrong i think that's where the market can decide a little bit about what's what's the better approach
0: so i know in the past you and i have talked about getting the plumbing in place surely your word not not mine mark <laughs> but um but meaning there's a bit of a chicken and egg situation in that um, we need th- enough opportunities to invest to be in place in order for the money to flow in. To what extent do you think we have that plumbing in place when it comes to sustainable investments?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, and, and I I like that word because it it gives a sense of, you know, certainly the humility with which we approach this, because there are many, many aspects to make the world a better place. Uh we have you know one set of skills maybe, and that we want to deploy. It doesn't mean it's the right or and it definitely doesn't mean it's the only approach to making a difference or having an impact. But you know for us as a, as a financial institution, trying to make sure that the clients who want sustainable assets and the managers or companies or governments who are creating investments that are more sustainable, that they can be connected better. And I think it has to be a virtuous circle, which means that as more opportunities uh, become available in different asset classes, then it becomes much easier to provide solutions for clients. And so, you know, one of the breakthroughs uh, that we felt was the ability to use uh, multilateral development bank debt. To replace, say, US treasuries in portfolios. And that was a lot, that was a lot of work, but it's done now. And now, you know, now we can move on to expanding to other asset classes and, and instruments. So that's, that's a little bit how we take the plumbing challenge. And then, of course, there's the, uh, you know, the quality control. And I think uh, there is some shift because, in a sense, More of my time is is taken up with trying to secure quality instruments and solutions even in the existing channels because, you know, if you look at uh, green bond demand, it's exploded and and there is going to be more supply, but always trying to make sure that the quality is there is, is is a real challenge.
0: And how do you make sure that that quality is kept high?
1: You know, there's always going to be people trying to sell a a pig and a poke or what or whatever. So I think it's something that's constant. And you know, as the amount of money is involved in the sector, I mean, it's the law of averages that something will not be done up to somebody's standards. And I think that's that's why we always try to be transparent about what the standards we're using and and work with top providers in, in the space so that you know to minimize uh, to minimize risks uh, in, in that area
0: do you think we need more standardization then
1: well greater standardization of metrics just helps everybody uh, it, it makes it much easier that not every single product is custom developed uh, it provides more asset managers the cover, if you will, to get into the space where where the, estab- the standards have been established by recognized uh, experts. So I just think it helps everyone. And I think, you know, more standardization is better because that's what the financial industry uh, really works on is to be able to standardize things, bundle things, then repackage them and you know, sell the risk here and the income stream there, that's what it really takes to make it, uh, you know, create full-fledged financial sophisticated markets. So there's, there's a lot of that that lays ahead.
0: And presumably to help with that, we we just need better data and disclosure as well.
1: A better disclosure regime would be better for everyone. But to get there, companies can disclose more, but they have to know what to disclose investors need to know what's important to disclose, regulators need to know what's important to disclose and then once it's disclosed everybody has to agree on how you're going to measure it. And those are still to some degree, cha- you know, challenging. But people tend to know this is better than that. And so, you know, that's why if you broaden and deepen the marketplace, the markets tend to resolve a lot of these things.
0: So I know the industry Uh, likes to talk about how trillions of dollars are already invested sustainably but to be frank uh, you look at the state of the world and think well hang on a minute is any of that actually having a positive impact um so as um the oracle of sustainable investing that's that's how i see you Mark. do you think it's more important to, to be focusing on impact, or how important do you think it is to be focusing on impact? Um, I would just love to hear your thoughts on this.
1: Well, I think it absolutely is because you know there is a difference. So, if your goal, for example, is to eliminate greenhouse gases, then you know it does matter because if you re- if you have a trillion dollars invested to reduce CO2 emissions or you have a trillion dollars invested uh to reduce methane emissions that does matter because the short term impact of the methane is is greater and so looking at impact is absolutely something that we try to think about and we try to get investors to think about but uh, but at the same time as as we talked about trying to hook up the pipes, it's always a judgment call on when is something moving in the right direction and when is something perfect uh, at this time.
0: So we have a U.S. election coming up, and the outcome of that election will have quite a large impact, one imagines, on how the U.S., at the very least, moves forward on the sustainability agenda, on the green agenda. Um, I just wondered to what extent you see policy as really being an enabler for sustainable finance and for sustainable investment?
1: I mean, uh, of course, policy can convince people to change their habits to to a degree. Uh, but part of the role uh, that is I learned a long time ago as an investor is that you know it's not it's not our job. To figure out how the world should work, it's our job to uh, understand how the world works and, you know, respond to it in a way that makes sense. So, whatever the policies are, and they're likely to be varied, I think um, there there are going to be winners and losers in the sustainable space, and I think policy is only one way that the sustainability agenda has moved forward. And I think there are a lot of people who who focus a little too much on it because at the end of the day, consumers and consumer choice has a lot larger impact on, on the way that uh, the world works and certainly what happens with sustainability. I mean, it's an empirical fact that rich nations tend to have higher quality water and 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 air because they can afford to pay for it and they've made choices that do. So, you know, policies alone is is not really going to move move things very far.
0: So, just before we wrap up, then I have this question. <laughs> it's a hypothesis, I suppose. If we're saying that sustainable investments make more sense than traditional investments within Wealth Management for Wealth Management clients. Can we say that why would that be any different for pension fund clients or institutional investors? Can we say that, you know, this is the time where we're saying sustainable investments over traditional investments for all investments?
1: <laughs> I, uh, I mean, it's not, my, I, I, I got to be humble. I can't say it's right for for every, everyone. If, if You know, if, if, uh, yeah, it's, uh, pension funds tend to know what they want to do and seek providers to help them. I think we do have something of a unique role with the private clients to really say, hey, have you thought about this? And do you realize this is available?
0: Well, you can't blame me for trying. Um, <laughs> um, so before we part ways today, Mark, uh, we have three questions we like to ask every guest. Um, and and so it's short turn now. And the first one is... Um, What's the one thing that we aren't talking about enough of within climate or green sustainable finance? Uh,
1: for me, I think it is trying to separate the politics away from the real consumer demand and making those uh, you know pointed in the same direction, but also not mixing them up.
0: So a separation of politics and sustainable investing. That's all I'm hearing today. And so question number two, would you share with us one thing that you do perhaps outside of work to support um, a sustainable planet?
1: Well, I think, you know, in investing portfolios, often you have kind of your long-term big portfolio, and then you have some things you do along the way to help you ensure that you stay focused on your long-term goals. And, you know, there's the Daniel Kahneman book uh, on kind of using both sides of your brain when you invest. And I think, so, you know, outside of work, I mean, I have certain areas, be they in, you know, preserving species or, or in healthcare that, you know, that I'm involved in on a more, charitable basis because i think they're personally interesting and and important but i think the big focus for for me is moving the needle on large pools of assets
0: (laughs) i love um i love this question you never know what the answer is going to be and i absolutely love that yours is about investing
1: (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah yeah you know i do take public transport to work work every day but you know the the idea that that somehow makes any difference in the grand scheme of things, uh, you know, I don't want to give that impression.
0: And then finally, and I know that your favorite book is Siddhartha, um, but what is one thing you could share with us that you have read or or seen or heard that um, that gives you a sense of optimism?
1: Well, one, I mean, one thing that I've, when, when you say red, I mean, I've just read today about the large increase in uh, green bonds that are going to be issued out of Europe. So I, that that's, I think, positive, because I do think, uh, you know, that matters to um, what the future can be, because I think a lot of this is about supply. I guess, you know, most of the books uh, that deal with sustainability are not that focused on the the positives, I think they they tend to be more focused on the the negatives about about the future, but yeah I, I guess another thing was uh, I saw that uh, some success is being made on a fusion reactor, so maybe that's something to hope for.
0: Oh, well, you've certainly given me optimism today, Mark. So thank you so much for joining us. It's um, it's wonderful to see you as always and look forward to seeing you again.
1: Oh, it's a pleasure, Helen.
0: So thanks for joining us for another episode of Green is the New Finance. I'll be back with colleague and co-host Ryan Jude in a week or so where we'll be talking to Ray Durrani, Head of Sustainable Finance at WWF, to discuss how finance can help support the preservation and regeneration of nature. So we hope you'll join us then and don't forget to subscribe and rate the podcast in all the usual places. And as always, drop us a line if there are any guests you'd like to hear from on the show. Till then. Green is the New Finance is brought to you by the Green Finance Institute with audio
1: production by Fairly Media.